Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 211 for the love of the game on the Believe Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your championship finals, info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports from this year's NBA Finals and this year's Stanley Cup Finals. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season, and we have you covered for all your inside sports wagering needs, whether it's the NBA Finals, NHL Finals, MLB, Tennis, UFC, boxing, you name it, Bet Online has you covered. Get into the action today. Head to the website or use your mobile device. Use promo code BLEAV to receive 50% on your first deposit. That's B L E A V to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. With that said, episode 211 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. It's your worst nightmare, it's my first night here And this girl right here, who knows what she knows So I'm going through her phone, if she go to the bathroom And her purse right there, I don't trust these f***ers at all But that's just a result of me paying attention To all these women that think like men with the same intentions Talking strippers and models that try to gain attention Even a couple stars that I'm ashamed to mention But Weezy and Stunner, my only role models Half in Jordan, my only role models. That's why I walk around with all this gold on, and every time I run into these, cause they won't. Welcome know. back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 211 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network. It's yours truly. It's Aaron Tobin, Hess ATH, back behind the mic, back in the saddle. And we have ourselves a series, folks. Miami Heat. Win 111-108, an exciting game, a thrilling up-and-down game that had tremendous swings in this game. At one point, after Miami came out firing, scorching hot, Denver went up 50-35, to and you thought, that's all she wrote, but this Miami Heat team doesn't quit. They don't quit. They fight to the bitter end, and... This was a a tale of two games because in the first game, as I documented, the combination of Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Caleb Martin went two of 23 from the field. And in game two, Duncan Robinson, four of five, two of three from three, eight points, big points in the fourth quarter, might I add. And Max Struess opened up scorching hot. Shot 4 of 10 from 3, 14 points. He was a plus 14. And Miami, that couldn't buy a basket from 3 in Game 1, shot 33%. They shot 48.6% in Game 2. It's as simple as that. Denver was not bad offensively tonight. Jokic was sensational. We'll talk about the strategy of making Jokic a score. But, I mean, 16 of 28. 41 points, 11 rebounds, but only four assists. We'll get to that in a second. But it was the likes of Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who were good in game one. Not very good in game two. One of four, six points. Jamal Murray had an up-and-down game. Started out super cold. Michael Porter Jr. was a disaster. Two for eight, one of six from three. A minus 15 and the plus minus five points. And it wasn't just that ugly on offense. It was that ugly on defense, too, getting lost. And Miami evens the series. Jimmy Butler, who I said was going to have to shoot the ball about 25 times, didn't really have a stellar game. 7 of 19, 21 points, 9 assists, 4 rebounds. But even though it wasn't the big scoring games, it did seem like he was controlling the pace. And he hit a couple of big shots late. And what can you say? This Miami Heat team... Finds a way. They absolutely find a way. Now, they went zone even in the minutes that Jokic played. In game one, Miami didn't really break out the zone in the minutes that Jokic was on the floor. They really did it pretty much when he was on the bench. In game two, they tried it a little bit more with Jokic on the floor. Now, Kevin Love, who was a DNP in game one, 
played in game two. Didn't really shoot the ball well, two of nine, but he was a plus 18, had 10 rebounds. So obviously he was doing something right defensively. Maybe it was just the sheer size of him being out there that gave Jokic a little extra problems on the zone. But again, Jokic shot 16 of 28. He was a monster. But it's very clear that what I said before the series started, the best way to defend Jokic is to try and make Jokic a score and let Jokic try and score 50 to 60 points and not have everybody else go crazy. Because while the stats are monstrous, the other guys aren't in a flow and they're standing around watching. Michael Porter Jr. standing around watching. Contavious Caldwell Pope standing around watching. And they finally get a shot. They're cold. They're not in a rhythm. And Jokic, his, his basketball mindset is to try and get other guys involved. So he's scoring these big point outages reluctantly. So that's not the way he wants to play. So even if he's scoring against the zone, it's a win for Miami in a sense that it's just not what he's comfortable doing. And other guys suffer a little bit as well. Jamal Murray, he suffered too. I mean, the final shooting numbers were okay, 7 of 15, 18 points. But the pick and roll two-man action isn't as effective against the zone. So it's things like that, that even with Jokic getting big point totals, it's still very effective. And Ramona Shelburne tried to bring it up in the postgame, and I thought Eric Spolstra kind of shot her down. It was a little ridiculous saying an untrained eye would say something like that, but it's not an untrained eye. I mean, I said this. I, I'm not in, you know, in ESPN media, but I said this before the series started. If Miami was going to have a chance, Jokic can't have eight, nine assist games. Look what happened in game two, four assists. Goes without saying. I mean, anybody after game one who thought that this Miami Heat team was going to just roll over and, and die and get swept or be in a gentleman sweep, they're not watching the Miami Heat in this playoffs. They're scrappers. They're fighters. They're not going away. I said it before the series started. I said Denver in six, but it's going to be a tough six. And I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven. Now the sh series shifts to Miami, where the Miami role players are very comfortable. I know Denver suffered its first home loss in the playoffs, but Miami has been a pretty good home playoff team too. Now, do I think Miami is going to get both games in Miami? No. I actually think Denver is going to win tomorrow night, and when you hear this podcast, you'll see if that is true or not. But I truly believe that this series is going back to Denver for game five, tied at two. Regardless how that shakes out, I think it's going to be a 2-2 series going into Denver. And that's great. That's great for us basketball fans because we want to watch a really good series. We want more basketball to watch. Speaking of another series going on, Stanley Cup Finals. Stanley Cup Finals, I know I, I've been slacking on the hockey talk, honestly, since the Rangers were out. My interest level kind of went away. But last night was a thumping. Vegas Knights win game two, 7-2 to two over the Florida Panthers. They now lead the series 2-0. The Florida Panthers story has been incredible. They were the last team to make the playoffs. The eighth seed, they got in the final day where the Pittsburgh Penguins had to lose for them to get in. They then beat the heavily favored Boston Bruins, who set the record for points in a regular season, beat them in Game 7 on the road after being down 3-1. Now they're in the Cup Final, but this Vegas team has been a wagon. It's been a wagon all year, and quite honestly, the Vegas Knights run since they have been in the... NHL because they were an expansion team not that long ago has been crazy. I mean, they were tops in their division this year. Their first ever season, they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. They lost, but still, for an expansion team, that's nuts. All right? I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see if you polled the NHL owners, if they had to do it again, 
would they have made it more difficult for the Vegas Knights early on? Like, if you're an expansion team, you have to take your medicine a little bit. You can't be this good this early. I mean, this is crazy. Every year they're a contender. Every single year. And I think the Panthers, their luck has finally come to an end. I think Vegas is going to take care of this. But, yeah, unbelievable by the Vegas Knights. And one last thing before we bring on a first-time guest, a friend of the podcast network, but a first-time guest, to talk a little bit about the Lakers and a Lakers funeral, like I promised last episode. So I'm not a huge golf guy, right? I don't play. I'm one of the worst golfers in America. It's embarrassing watching me on the course. I just don't play. I don't have the patience for it. If I'm not good at something, I'm not going to spend three and a half hours being bad at something. So I don't play golf. I don't really watch golf. I'll monitor what's going on. But this merger that was announced today, the PGA Tour and the Live Tour have merged. Now, there was a huge uproar about the Live Tour, the Saudi-backed golf league for all the human rights violations that the Saudis have and, and were they paying professional golfers off to try and smooth over those things, to try and even wash money of sorts? I'm not getting into all that. But the PGA commissioner, Jay Monahan, who was very much on his high horse about the live tour, really looks bad here. He really looks bad. And it's surprising to me that this merger, and now that they're under one umbrella, as ESPN put it, I mean, the details haven't really come out yet, so we'll see what happens there. It, it's weird to me on a couple of reasons. One, the live guys were able to play the majors. So it's not like the PGA Tour was losing some of its marquee members marquee players to the live tour completely i mean brooks kepka just won the pga championship he's a live tour guy that's number one number two the live tour while the saudis have endless money it's not like the live tour was doing great on television they're on the wb network their ratings were terrible like they were basically flushing money down the toilet now good for the guys I guess, who took advantage, whether it's Brooks, whether it's Phil Mickelson, all the guys who took big paydays from the Live Tour, Dustin Johnson, they got their money. But if the PGA Tour was like threatened by the Live Tour, like the PGA Tour is not going anywhere. And the Live Tour was was failing on television. So, So why now? Because of dissension amongst the players? Like, is that it? I don't know. The whole thing is just very weird. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, but this is a major L for Jay Monahan, who was on his high horse about the morality of the Live Tour, which that could be debated another time, but to then merge with them is interesting. And again, the details of the merger haven't come out, but like, I'm not sure the PGA Tour can buy out the live tour they don't have those kind of pockets i don't think i I just the whole thing is weird it's a big story and the details are going to come out but i just wanted to touch on it really quick anyway with that said we're going to bring on a first-time guest to talk about the lakers maybe a little bit more about the nba finals ring yet to him in just a matter of moments all right so i mentioned it in the monologue um last episode We had a little bit of a eulogy for the Celtics season. I said we were going to get to the Lakers because everybody likes to talk about the Lakers. And that time has come. I am very lucky to have a special first-time guest, a friend of the Believe Family Network, uh, Matt Belinsky. Matt, how are we doing, bud? Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, bro. Fantastic. Listen, we'd be doing a little bit better if the Lakers were in the finals right now. But as we'll get to, that was not meant to be. So all things considered, do, doing pretty well. Excellent. Excellent. So I, let's start there. All right. This Lakers season, it, it's been a roller coaster. It sure. started out, you know, two and ten in their first 12 games. Mm-hmm. They end up in the Western Conference finals. Um, 
putting everything in perspective, right? What you know, and and Laker fans are a little bit different, right? They, there's the Laker exceptionalism. They they think that you know the the basketball universe you know starts and ends with the Lakers. So all all things considered, would you consider this season a success? Like, how would you rate this um, this season in its totality and Obviously, you know, going into the Denver series, did you think that there was any way the Lakers were going to lose? Okay. So the season overall, you got to be happy with the season, right? Listen, this is the first deep playoff run the Lakers have had other than the bubble year in a long time. I mean, I think people need to put that in perspective. You had pretty much the the Kobe Gasol years through 2010 with the championship, 2011, where despite the all alternate history that everyone remembers it in where they were still the favorite to get to the Western conference finals, even against Dallas that ended up being disappointing where even getting to the second round of the playoffs was a disappointment. And then the lockout season with the CP three trade and when when the wheels started to come up, I mean, this is the first deep playoff run for the Lakers in nearly a decade, other than the bubble year that we did fans didn't really get to participate in. So I can't be mad at it. Listen, we got to the Western conference finals after massive turnaround two really satisfying playoff series victories that we were both technically the underdog in. I can't complain about that. And, you know, just to give you a little bit of tra- trajectory here. Um, yeah, I, I I tapped out of the Lakers once they made the Westbrook trade because I knew it was a di- disaster. Um, and I, the, the Westbrook trade in those years were incredibly painful that that 18 months about a year in a season and a half roughly because i knew that it was a disaster because anyone who was paying attention knew that russell westbrook was no longer good and the lakers were breaking up a a formula that they they had had that worked to the extent of a championship and could have been the basis for another successful team with a healthy anthony davis and with you know not making some of those other bad decisions they made so going from the westbrook the dark days of the westbrook period to an exciting final run where the lakers were playing at an elite level through that last third, you know, let's call it quarter of the season and a strong playoff run. Very happy with that. It was enjoyable. You know, a lot of Laker fans came back together around the franchise and enjoyed that run. So, you know, I, I put that at worst an eight. Um, obviously, you know, it, Lakers exceptionalism will say, and as Magic Johnson once said, we don't celebrate champ, uh, Western Conference championships and in, in LA, we sub- celebrate championships. That was not meant to be, but happy with the season. Um, was I disappointed? Did I expect us to beat the Nuggets? Not really. Um, the Nuggets were the number one seed, right? And you've got to respect that. And you've got to acknowledge that Jokic is an elite player. And if you were paying attention, despite seeing flashes of elite play from Anthony Davis and a lot of good stuff from LeBron, but anyone who was paying attention saw that he was definitely limited and hampered by an injury and by, you know, the, the ravages of father time. I mean, you, you had to respect that Denver was the, the, the number one seed and had arguably the best player. I was looking at it because like, I, I didn't, I tapped out. I, did, I wasn't watching the league. I wasn't watching the Lakers during the West, Westbrook period because I just knew that they were going nowhere. So I, I had to catch up on my analysis going into the playoffs. And I looked at Denver and I was like, mm, they are the number one seed, but they only won 53 games. That's a low win total for, for a number one seed, right? And they had struggled basically the last month of the season where they were 500 team. They didn't look crisp at all. They weren't playing any defense. Sure. And I was looking at their lineup and I was like, you got Jokic, Jamal Murray, impressive player. You know, although I don't know, we'll, we'll see if he's got what it takes in big time playoff moments. Aaron Gordon, solid player, same thing. It's like, yeah, and I'm not overwhelmed by their lineup. And also, and more, more prominently, they were a mediocre defensive team. So I looked at it and he said, you know something? Lakers have been playing since the trade deadline at an elite level, at an elite 57 win level, right? Can they beat a team that was a 53-win team, although the number one seed, and is a mid-range number 15-16 defensive team? And I said, you know something? They can. Like, they're not the favorites, but they can win this series. And that obviously turned out to be a fallacy for a number of reasons. I still think this was a closer series than the 4-0 sweep let's on um but the problem was the lakers did not have enough offensive firepower to exploit the the nuggets defensive shortcomings you just see it they they just you know uh bob volgaris obviously one of the most 
Um, sure. One of the most insightful um, basketball analysts that you will find. Um, he said, listen, it, this was no surprise. The Lakers only had three high caliber capable players in big moments. And that was LeBron, Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves. They did not have enough uh, with, with D'Angelo Russell shitting the bed with Dennis Schroeder being up and down and LeBron not, you know, just LeBron's legs worn down and not being a perimeter threat. The Lakers did not have enough offensive firepower to exploit the, the Nuggets weakness, which was not being a great defensive team. Um, so I, I, I looked at the best case scenario that the Lakers showing themselves to have the capacity to be elite defensively could have played at that level and eked out enough offense against a mediocre defensive team to maybe make some waves. And that, you know, just, it just didn't happen for one, for a number of reasons. And the Lakers strengths in terms of offensively weren't the right players to take advantage of the Nuggets weaknesses on defense, right? Like for example, the point of attack defense with Jamal Murray. The Lakers really didn't have a, a guard to take advantage because right. D'Angelo Russell was brutal, right? Yeah. Let, let's and we'll get to Anthony Davis and the Anthony Davis conundrum in a little bit, but you know, he needed to outplay Jokic by a significant amount for them to have a chance to win. And and he couldn't, right? And Jokic sure. was able to play him relatively straight up defensively. Um or I would I would go a step further. I mean, I think the Nuggets, not necessarily Jokic, but the Nuggets team defense was able to limit him. I mean, there were big stretches of games where Anthony Davis was not, and this is not just for the Denver series. And this is the problem with with scoping out Davis and scoping out the Lakers with Davis as their key piece is that there's big stretches of key games or, or you know, not key games where you can't necessarily rely on throwing the ball to Anthony Davis and him just putting all the pressure on a defense because yeah. if you don't go double, triple team him, he's going to score. That's not not having Anthony Davis be that guy that you can get the ball to in the right position and, oh, fuck, the defense better better collapse or shift entirely in favor of stopping him or else he's going to score. Not having that factor is it, it doomed the Lakers. Yeah, and it was it was just a matchup thing, right? And the Lakers were kind of in a tough spot, right? Because when they played Jared Vanderbilt, who was one of the major pickups, as you well know, that led to them having the best record in the league since the trade deadline. Uh, when they played him, the Nuggets completely ignored him, mm -hmm. right? And then when they when he was off the court, the the Nuggets basically took advantage of the Lakers' lack of size when it was just Davis and Jokic had his way, not just scoring the ball himself, but also being able to pass over double teams because when the double team was coming, the the guy who was double teaming wasn't big enough to really affect Jokic's eyesight. So no. it was kind of like, you know, the Lakers were in a, a lose-lose spot in that sense and just the, the perimeter defense – for the Nuggets, which could be vulnerable outside of a guy like KCP and Bruce Brown when he's playing, the Lakers just didn't have the perimeter scoring punch needed from their guards. And, you know, let's face it, LeBron James, despite the fact that he went to, quote unquote, the LeBron James of feet before the playoffs started, you know, he was clearly not all there and he couldn't make jump shots. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, and this is a thing I've been saying about the Lakers for a few years now. I mean, th this league, you have to shoot when, when the Lakers franchise in the era. And let, let's be honest, it kind of started in 2011. Right. It start. You can see a clear break in the style play in the National Basketball Association it was more clear. Let's call it 2012, 2013 with Miami and small ball and, and all that stuff. Right. But really, in 2011. The Lakers, and, and in that Mavs series, I'm like, holy shit, the other team can just shoot way, way better than the Lakers can shoot right now. The Lakers were, you know, rode a, to a, two titles, uh, three finals appearances in a deep playoff run in 2011. Listen, they got to the second round um, off, you know, the triangle offense strategic one-on-one -on -one advantages and big post plan being bigger than people. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, wait, the, uh, the opponent can just make shots at a higher rate that, that neutralizes those, 
those advantages. The Lakers at no point other than maybe for a quick minute, like during the D'Antoni period where they had only shooting and no other skill whatsoever, the Lakers have not had good shooting teams. At no point can you look at the Lakers franchise and say they are in the top tier in terms of perimeter scoring and shooting. And that's still true. They were able to win a championship the bubble year. They were a phenomenal defensive team and had enough shooting. That was a similar, you're wondering this season in this playoff run, can they they replicate some version of that formula, elite defense and just enough shooting, but you're still running it too thin that all of a sudden Jared Vanderbilt goes from, okay, wait, we're not going to guard him close, but if we leave him open in the corner, he's going to knock out a few shots like he did in the Golden State series. Or D'Angelo Russell, okay, he's going to have a bad game here, a good game there, bad game there. Instead, he just had all bad games. So the the margin for error on the Lakers being uh, having enough shooting, that formula of elite defense plus just enough shooting, too razor thin, and they fell on the wrong side of it against Denver, partially because Denver had could put a lot of pressure on them offensively, and it just didn't work. So the Lakers going forward, they have a very interesting offseason. First of all, Austin Reeves, who, you know, their undrafted, you know, guard who comes out of nowhere and looks like he's going to be a $20 million a year player. He's a free agent, right? Restricted free agent. And the Lakers can match, but the Lakers can only offer him a certain level. I think it's 40, four years, $50 million. They can only match that. And then if he goes out on the open market and, gets a bigger deal they they can match that contract but that's the limit i think to what they can offer initially so and if they match whatever deal reeves gets there's major you know cap ramifications they're in the tax and and with the new collective bargaining agreement that's coming you know basically going into the tax at a certain level is is really crippling towards your future. So you have the Austin Reeves situation. D'Angelo Russell, who had moments in the regular season for the Lakers, but really didn't play well in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. He's a he's a free agent. Um where where do you see the Lakers going in terms of improving this roster around LeBron, who again just completed his 20th season, 38 years old, clearly needs another dominant ball handler yeah. as as a lead of an offense. Like, wh- where do you see them going? Like, ha- like, how can they improve this team and take it to the next level? Man, I mean, the options are slim. And I... I am fiercely anti-Kyrie Irving. I think he's a cancer, and there's a reason his teams keep on underperforming. However... I was just about to ask that as as a secondary question because that's been the rumor, right? Like, they've... Whether it's this weird thing with Kyrie recruiting LeBron to Dallas, which is never going to happen because of LeBron's under contract, and the only way he would have to get there is if he asked the Lakers to trade him and the Lakers have absolutely no reason to trade him to Dallas and Dallas is no one to offer of any value because you're not going to offer Luca for him. So that's a non-starter, but yeah, it, it, the Lakers have been rumored to be after Kyrie for a year and a half, but you're, you're anti the idea. Cause I am too. I'm default anti the idea, but then given the Lakers particular situation and other options, I have to entertain the possibility because once again, as we discussed, the the big, the problem for the Lakers is lack of perimeter one-on-one score or offensive threat that has that punch that could put pressure on a defense because the Lakers otherwise number one guy isn't that guy, right? And that is Anthony Davis. So you need... Man, I, I can't stand Kyrie, but can you put the ball in his hands and he puts the defense on their heels? The Lakers don't have that guy, okay? In that run they had at the end of the season and through those first two postseason uh, uh, series, once it was, it was patchwork. It was just enough. It was elite defense and just enough offense. But you see, that's not an, they can't, they, they don't, their, their defense, it's not what it was in 2020. They didn't have Davis plus JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, who were vastly underrated as a defensive tandem that year. Plus Alex Caruso, who anyone who was paying attention knew was not just a good, but an elite perimeter defender. They didn't have that level defense that they could really neutralize a top-notch defense on command, right? So 
you you got to entertain Kyrie. You got to. And I mean, I don't, you know, I admit, admittedly, I haven't looked into the nuances of how they make that happen. Although people that I trust have said that, and that, that would seem to be with the signing D'Angelo Russell to, to use as a trade ship situation. And, and that gets flipped for Kyrie, I guess is how that happens. But yeah, man, you, this Lakers team, if you want to take, take it to the next step, if you want to be, you know, I think you could, you could validly say they were one of the, by the end of the season, they were one of the four five or six best teams in the league. If you want to go to wait, they can win a championship. You need an elite scoring threat alongside Anthony Davis and, and whatever LeBron James will be next season. Um, and who knows, he might be in better shape because he has the foot thing and he might have one good last and all NBA adjacent honorable mention season left in him. But with this Lakers team, you need to resign Austin Reeves. And yeah, I think, I think this team with Kyrie Irving is better than this team without Kyrie Irving. I mean, cause we saw D'Angelo Russell was utterly exposed in the regular season, you know, lower, lower intensity, he had space to operate. He was hitting threes from it with the, his Lakers tenure at the end of the season. He was shooting well enough to make it a much more threatening offense that once the defense is clamped down in the playoffs, he was not that guy. His defense is atrocious. Kyrie, you have atrocious defense, but Kyrie gets buckets. And Kyrie, you put the fucking ball in Kyrie's hands. You got Anthony Davis there and LeBron, uh, LeBron James. Your, your defense is stressed. And the Lakers couldn't stress a defense. The only issue with Kyrie is if you bring Kyrie and you're trying to make the money work for the type of money that he's looking for in free agency, you may have a real depth issue, right? Because, you know, that means Dennis Schroeder, who also is up for a new contract and was pretty much your best perimeter defender, he's gone, right? It may complicate things with Reeves. I, I think they can make it work, but then again, like you're running out of pieces in terms of if it's a sign and trade. So that's kind of like where the Lakers were with Westbrook. Now, again, the basketball fits a little bit different because, you know, I know it's seven years ago, but but Kyrie has a shooting skill set that in theory, if he wasn't a crazy person, would work, you know, alongside LeBron. But it's just it's a tough spot for the Lakers to be in. Let's see. Let's take a. I want to take a look at Kyrie's shooting numbers from last year. I mean, he still dropped twenty-seven points last year, man, and thirty-eight percent from three. But I mean, you know, that's still respect. But there's, but there's got to be a reason why his teams don't win, regardless of the numbers he puts up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and trust me, I, I'm the first one. I mean. Fuck, man. I mean, his true shooting percentage with Dallas was 63. That's pretty good. That's pretty damn good for a guard. I, I can't hate on that. But and you know, yeah, his 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 advanced stats, his numbers with Dallas were very respectable. Like I, I look at that, you know, I throw that into the mix with this Lakers team, and I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, obviously the downstream effects and your your, you know, you got from what I've gathered. If Kyrie's on board and he takes less than his max, the Lakers can re-sign Reeves, Hachimura, and do the Kyrie deal. I don't think there's a high chance of that happening, but if you can make that happen, it is your best case scenario for this upcoming season, and you just got to figure shit out from there. Yeah, yeah. The Lakers, the Lakers lucked out a little bit. You know, Schroeder coming off a down year fell into their lap just like Dwight Howard, and people will continue to underrate the impact of Dwight Howard in that 2020 championship. I mean, people vastly underrate that. Um, and you got the same thing out of Schroeder, but you know, if you're running out. If you're running out uh, uh, LeBron, AD, Reeves, Kyrie, uh, you got Hachimura there. I mean, you. I think you can figure out a way to fill in a team around that that's pretty goddamn competitive. Well, so, I, well I think I think from what I heard that if, if Kyrie is going to be brought on board for close to what his market value is, is that, you know, Rui is not there. They would have to renounce his rights and then figure it out from there. From what I've gathered, you can do Reeves, uh, Rui, and, and Kyrie. I, you know, I, forgive me for not having the specific numbers, but um, you can't. You know, Reeves will probably Austin would probably have to turn down 
a couple smaller market, bigger number deals and be happy with 13, 14 million. And he may very well be. I'm sure someone's going to offer him 20, but he might say, listen, I'm happy with what I, I like being in LA. Obviously, you know, I think he can agree. Like, yeah, a guy like Austin Reeves is going to be have more off the court opportunity and is going to be a bigger brand overall in LA. Austin Reeves goes to, you know, Minnesota. Like, no, he his overall brand value shrinks considerably. Oh, you don't think he gets noticed by Taylor Swift in a bar in Oklahoma if he's playing for, let's just say, the Sacramento Kings? I'd say, like I said, uh, uh, possibility shrinks considerably. Don't see it happening. So let me ask you this. And and I, I know we touched on Davis in a second. I want to just table that for a bit. So this LeBron era, right, mm-hmm. starts in 2019. This is before they make the Davis trade. That season starts out. The Lakers are about a four or a five seed. This is when they have all the young kids. They still have Ingram. They still have Lonzo. LeBron pulls his groin in Golden State, and they crater, and they they miss the playoffs. <laughs> then they make the Davis trade. Bubble season. A lot of people discredit the bubble season for whatever reason because it was you know open gyms basically. And then from there on out, it's it's a first round exit in 2021. Didn't make the playoffs in 2022. This year, they made the Western Conference Finals after a very tumultuous year in a, in a very strange NBA season. Yeah. And, you know, LeBron has had a very complicated relationship with the Laker fans in a sense where there was always that rivalry, excuse me, there was always that rivalry with Kobe Bryant, right? The Laker and Kobe Bryant, and it's always been a Kobe town. So where do you think the Laker fans are at with LeBron right now? Like, if he retired, you know, tomorrow, does his re- does his number go up in the rafters? And would you say that it deserves to go up in the rafters if the only title that they won was the Orlando bubble title? You know, I'm going to go with the titles, the title on that one. And the Lakers have been thirsting for a title um, and it counts. And the Lakers like to be able to count titles. So I'm going to I don't think his his. Jersey should go up, but I think, you know, I think we can see this, this administration Lakers ownership wants to highlight stars, um, even sometimes to a cringe level, you know, uh, uh, a a counterintuitive or counterproductive uh, level and, you know, whatever, I I understand what, what the thinking is, but you know, they, they know where their bread is buttered. Um, you can run a lot of alternative scenarios, right? Because also one of the things that that impacted, that had a, a, a domino effect on where this LeBron era ended up that people forget that I can't blame on the LeBron era are the Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov signings, okay? Before, right? People forget about that. The Lakers were keeping all that cap space free, loading up on draft picks. They And here's the, and here's the real tragedy. They they drafted so well late first round and second round that you add those pieces to the earlier draft picks they had, plus what they would have had with the cap space, and they fucked a lot of that up. That could have been just unfathomable firepower to fill in around LeBron, and they gave up a lot of that and really, t- you know, that that really shrunk their options during the LeBron years. Um, and so. I would say that the LeBron years were a mild success. I think the fans begrudgingly accept him. They appreciate him as a player. They, they, the, the fans appreciate that he's still at this high level. They, I think a lot of fans and myself included thought that he'd already be gone. Thought he was going to do two, three seasons, right? He's already pretty old. He's already old. He's, I didn't think he was going to be playing at 38. I thought he would want us to only retire once he knew he wasn't going to be, you know, an elite dominant player anymore. And that probably was a year or two ago. Um, so, you know, I'm happy with a championship's a championship and they got one. Um, Davis was the trade that they had to make there. We'll see what they're able to do once LeBron's gone. Um, I'm, I obviously have my concerns, but at this point, listen, the Lakers have been able to, to re- restock the chamber pretty well, um, other than the Jim Buss years. Uh, so, you know, 
they I think it's it's far below what the best case scenario would have been for this era where the Lakers decide, you know, from 2013 to about 17, went through a couple fallow, painful years, and we're trying to re- restock the shelves, keep options open, screwed it up royally, and really eviscerated a number of their options with the tip of the Mozgov. Everyone forgets you had to go dump, you had to dump D'Angelo Russell with Mozgov for pretty much nothing. Okay. Like, say what you want about D'Angelo Russell. You could have done a few things with that afterwards. They screwed up with with Julius Randle. He he left for nothing. They could have resigned resigned him for a very respect a very reasonable number. They fucked up the the Caruso Alex Caruso. So I mean I think they made a number of unforced errors that had nothing to do with LeBron. Not bringing back Brooke Lopez on a decent contract. Yeah. Oh, oh, that one too. Yeah, yeah. No, there was oh, God. It's. You know, because we remember, I'm sure you remember an era where the Lakers made such, un, uh, you know, unheard, like never before seen consistently smart decisions. The Lakers just, I mean, you know, my, my first 30 years on earth, I got 10 Lakers championships. And, you know, we understood there was a little period in the 90s where, you know, you had the magic thing happen. But we always were were confident that the Lakers were going to make the right decisions. And they kept on doing it. They always did the most with what they had. And they were always confident. And this Lakers era has been a strange mixture of, you know, of supreme competency and supreme idiocy. Right. And I remember I, I spoke the 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 season, uh, the 2020 season going into that 2020, 2019, 2020 season. Never forgets also they they Dwight Howard fell into their lap that year. OK, and I'm, I, I bang this Dwight. How people forget how valuable Dwight Howard was that season. No chance they win the, the, the title without him. The Lakers literally went into the season with nothing but JaVale McGee at center and Anthony Davis, who didn't want to play center that year. And then they still doesn't, him. by the way. Still doesn't. They found Dwight Howard to play 20 to 25 minutes of semi-elite level defense to take and allow Anthony Davis to go operate on the offensive end that year. They totally fell into that. Okay, by complete happenstance, they did not sign Dwight Howard. He literally was an undrafted, unrestricted, uh, was an unsigned free agent 10 games into the season. He was like, I want to go play for the Lakers and rehabilitate my reputation in the eyes of Lakers fans. And that's what happened. Um, So, you know, they made a... they. Tripton fell into Alex Caruso and then gave him away and totally uh, uh, disregarded what he brought to the table. Um, yet they look at the, how they drafted. They have uh, an incredible record of of finding gems. Austin Reeves finding gems and the first round, early second round, undrafted over the this this era of the they last drafted season. Josh Hart, New York's favorite son, right now. Josh Hart, once upon a time in the late first round. Oh, yeah. 27 pick how many 27 number 27 picks end up as good as josh hart very few very larry nance larry nance jr had a, has had a very nice career okay yep. people are uh, the lakers have had an astonishing uh track record the last seven or eight years of finding late first early round sets that have purely you know totally respectable careers um but the lakers tripped and sent westbrook was an abomination that's an abominable decision no justification for whatsoever anyone who was paying attention knew that he hadn't been good in three seasons anyone so what and it was it wasn't it wasn't just the players that they traded like it was kcp i forget who else but kcp obviously is you know been well, he had a rough game too, but he's been he's been very good for denver and he's been a good piece player yeah it was also the future picks that they gave up that basically uh-huh. hampered their ability to do uh-huh. other things, you know, around the roster. But yeah. that that's all water under the bridge now. And and I, I do give Rob Polinka credit, who was a whipping boy by the Laker fans. I mean, I have a bunch of Laker fans in my life who absolutely could not stand Rob Polinka. And he acquitted himself nicely last season, but it's going to come down to Anthony Davis, right? He seems to be the linchpin. And now with LeBron in his twilight years, Anthony Davis is going to be the face of the team going forward. Now, I've, I, again, I have Laker fans in my life who think he's a cross between Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan. And it's just, (laughs) he's just not that dude, right? Because you can't have four for 15 playoff games and and be that guy how nervous are you about the prospects of a post lebron 
Anthony Davis-led era that is with limited draft flexibility. How, how nervous are you about that stage in Lakers history? I'm getting and, nervous. Yeah. And should they be proactive on this and trade Anthony Davis sooner rather than later? Is that the move to unlock things? I'm getting I'm getting concerned because obviously, you know, this this playoff run revitalized a lot of excitement about the Lakers and a lot of justifiable excitement. And we me and my Laker fans enjoyed it thoroughly, even with not a great ending. Um, but yes, looking at what the future holds and the concerns and like this, this guy being the linchpin, a lot of concerns. Absolutely. Because as we've seen, you know, you said Jokic is a better player than him. Jokic is better. Right. Plain and simple. And the inability of Anthony Davis to dominate the opposing defense, just him alone. Right. And there is a little bit of um, the Lakers, I think being very bad at finding ways to get him and him, him, the ball in a position to attack. But if you're an elite level, if you're Giannis or Jokic or Joel Embiid, that's not really a problem because you get the guy, the fucking ball, unless he's double or triple team, you know, you gotta, uh, you gotta play. Um, And so, it matter the Lakers will need to pull a magical move to us to put the right other superstar next to Anthony Davis. I don't know if Giannis is a possible is an option if the timing works out there and when LeBron's going to finally ride off into the sunset. Um, so I, I don't think you're, it, you're, I don't think it's fatal that Anthony Davis is your guy going into the next era. You open up enough cap space, you know, you f- figure some things out and Hey, you're the Lakers. And when one domino falls, usually the second and third domino fall, unless you go fuck up something like the Westbrook trade. Um, I don't think they can trade him because the Lakers, I, I think that the bus family is so traumatized by that 2013 to 2018 period where, you know, they just had all their business partners and the fans breathing down their necks, just miserable for the, the, the bus family's unwilling to let themselves, the, the franchise go through another, another period like that. And who knows, you know, you, you, some things you can't control. Maybe Anthony Davis tears his Achilles and the Lakers have to go through that type of period again, but the, the, the bus family will not rebuild. They will not trade Anthony Davis for pieces or draft picks or anything like that. They will keep him uh, around. See, you know, make, uh, imagine, you know, Rob Palenka for all his faults. He's not, not thinking about who fills the LeBron spot. Once LeBron's gone, um, who knows, maybe, maybe you got a couple like hint, hint, wink, wink deals with clutch that, you know, clutch is going to, uh, 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 take a you know, take kindly and direct some talent towards the Lakers once LeBron's gone. I hope so. Um, so you, Anthony Davis is your guy, and I think he's not, I, I think he's a flawed star in a lot of ways, shape, shapes, and forms. But that's one more star than you had, you know, in that co- in between Kobe and LeBron period. So you've got that to work with, and you, you, you got to play the, the hands you're dealt. So we'll, we'll have to build off that, and plus. Anthony Davis is a clutch guy, right? So I can't imagine if LeBron James is still going to be there that they're going to trade Anthony Davis, even though he may be the guy to bridge the talent. But it's it's tough. This is what happens when you're in the LeBron James business. If you look at all the LeBron James teams, the era comes to an end, and then there's a clear decline, right? Because you're mortgaging future – to upgrade the now and that's basically the lebron james business since 2014 uh, you saw it with the Cavs, and you see it now so it's yeah. it's interesting times in lakerland and i don't envy rob palinka's um position right now in terms of getting creative i'm gonna let you go on this obviously we spoke about the lakers right now but i do want to get your prediction for the rest of this series because there is the nba finals going on we're tied 1-1 when you hear this, game four, game three will probably have happened. How do you see the rest of the series playing out between the Nuggets and the Heat? Oh, man. I mean, this Heat team is something special, right? They do not. I mean, they have an iron will. They do not give up. They just keep coming and coming and coming. And that's something special. Um, I think anyone who's watching sees a Denver is the better team. They are. I mean, you know, the Heat have – had been on a great run in the playoffs, but there's a reason they were the eighth seed and maybe they were better than the eighth seed, but they're a limited team. 
Um, and Denver just fell asleep in that end of third quarter, early fourth quarter. Um, I think, I think Denver, you know, they're, they're a well-coached team. They're not going to slip. Uh, I, I think, you know, the heat put up a valent, uh, make a valent try, but I think Denver is going to win this series. Let's call it Denver and six. That's what I said before the series. I mean, this right now is the first time Denver's had any real adversity in the playoffs since they've started. They've really handled their business all the way through. But, you know, this Miami team scraps. They they claw for every inch. They fight. And they're not going away. And all that being said, I think Denver's going to win in six as well. Wouldn't be surprised if it went seven, though. Yeah, yeah. And if it's seven and it's, it's anyone's ballgame, the Heat have shown that they are – uh, they are a better conditioned team and more mentally tough than just about anyone they play may not have the offensive firepower and the talent to, you know, let those qualities overcome the opponent in this series, but they're a super impressive team. Lots to like about them. And, you know, big Bam, Bam and Jimmy, big fans of those big fan of those guys. All right, Matt, this was awesome. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for being flexible, by the way. I know you're doing tons of things. You're one of the smartest guys I follow on a myriad of different topics. Uh, it's good to just, you know, talk light topics, you know, regarding the Lakers, even though to you guys, Lakers are the religion. Where can everybody find you? For sure. Um, you know, main platforms, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my name, Matt Belinsky, M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. Also have a podcast called The Prevailing Narrative, available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Typically, episodes drop every Thursday or every other Thursday, so check that out as well. And uh, cannot thank you again uh, enough for, for having me on. This was great. Absolutely. Anytime. Hope you're going to come back again. You're a recurring guest now and maybe make an appearance on your show. We'll, we'll, um, I'll get out of my comfort zone a little bit and do something different. Yeah, let's get into the deep end, my friend. All the best. Thanks so much, buddy. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks again to now recurring guest, Mr. Matt Belinsky, for coming on, talking all things Lakers offseason, little NBA finals, good stuff from him. Excited to talk to him again. That's episode 211 for the love of the game. Take us out straight. Headlights flicking, looking like a falling star. Every day them hammers bang, whipping yay like anime. I run the game, but the ladies think I'm running game. Mean coats make your woman want to fornicate. Jose and Drake, I'm getting cake, nothing short of great. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.